Hello everyone, my name is Haley Elizabeth and if you don't know who I am, this is my true crime podcast where once a week I sit down and I talk about all things true crime, ranging from murders, disappearances, cults, all the way to the biggest drug bust in history, the biggest bank heist in history, all things true crime. So if you're interested in any of that, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel to watch the visual version every Wednesday or you can head over to Spotify, Apple, wherever you can find podcasts and listen to the audio version every Tuesday. But for today's case, we are going to be talking about the case of Leslie Herring. Now there is a lot to get through, so we're just going to hop right into it. Leslie Herring was a 44-year-old woman from Guyana in South America. She had a brother named Lyndon and a sister named Asha. When she was young, her whole family up and moved from Guyana to LA, and as a child, she was described as sort of the mom of the group. She was always the most responsible one. She was always the person to tell people like, hey, maybe this is a bad idea. We shouldn't be doing this. She always made really good choices and also always had a really good head on her shoulders. And this behavior definitely followed into her teen years. She wasn't really the type of girl to enjoy going out and like drinking or smoking or going to parties. She was just more focused on her career and her future. And as a teenager, she was described as very caring, but trust, do not cross her because she was also the type of person that did not put up with anyone's nonsense. So essentially, she was just the type of person that, you know, is very happy and joyful, but if you cross her, she will most definitely cross you. And also as a teenager, she grew very, very close with her mother and her sister, Asha. Them three were like the three musketeers. They were best friends and did everything together. And actually, her sister, Asha Davis, may sound a little familiar, because Asha is actually a pretty well-known actress and she's been in things like Grey's Anatomy and Friday Night Lights. And Leslie was so, so proud of her sister Asha. She was so proud of everything that she has accomplished, that she had made herself into the acting industry. But as for Leslie, she was kind of the opposite of Asha in that she just didn't really want a life that was in the spotlight. She was a little bit more, you know, personable. She liked her privacy. And so because of that, she decided to take a different route and started working an office job at a home security company in the Hollywood area. She started working there, but eventually built her way up to a very high position because, as I said, Leslie was very determined. She was very dedicated to her work. She was also described as sort of a workaholic at times. And because of her constant on-the-go, you know, really focused on her career and her life, she didn't really have time for men or to have time for love. You know, at this point in her life, she has so many things going for her and she just wasn't really ready to invite someone in on all of that. That was until the early 2000s when Leslie would meet Lyle Herring. And Leslie, from, you know, the moment that she met him. She found Lyle very attractive and the two of them immediately developed a very strong bond. Lyle had the same exact morals as Leslie, which Leslie admired a lot. Lyle was very career-driven like Leslie. He was a hard worker. He always stood up for himself and he always stood up for Leslie. He was very responsible, especially when it came to finances and money. He was very adamant 
about building his savings account before building his checking account. But with this relationship, there was a little bit of all eyes on them just because of the age gap between the two. Lyle at this point was in his late 40s while Leslie was in her mid-20s. So it was a 20-year age difference. But as far as Leslie, she did not mind because Leslie, ever since she was a kid, has always been very mature for her age, very responsible. She just kind of didn't have the same goals and mindset as her peers. And so because of this, she tended to gravitate towards older men that had the same mindset as her. As far as Lyle Herring, Lyle was said to be a very social man that everyone loved. Lyle was not the type of person to get angry or take things personally. He was very laid back, very go with the flow. He was described as the type of person where like if you had a problem with Lyle, it was definitely a you problem because Lyle never did anything. He was never malicious. He never talked behind people's backs. He was just overall a very very positive person and only spoke positively and that was another thing that Leslie really admired about Lyle. And so the couple quickly fell in love and quickly after they fell in love they actually got married where they had a courthouse wedding and at this point they had only known each other for a small amount of time like they weren't even living together or anything they were just truly in love with one another and even after they got married they were so so excited to just embark on this new chapter of life. And so the next step in, you know, a relationship would be moving in together. And so that is when the couple decided to use both of their finances and bought a luxury condo in the city of Los Angeles, as well as a sailboat that they would both frequently use. And a lot of people would describe Leslie and Lyle as the absolute power couple. They were wealthy, they were focused, they were dedicated, they were in love, they were just basically the poster relationship and they also were just so cute and romantic with one another like there were so many articles saying that Lyle and Leslie would frequently wear matching hats and shirts when they went on vacation together they would walk around just not like extreme PDA but like the cute PDA you know holding hands and just being all cute and they would spend every single day together yet they never got tired of each other's company like it was every time they were together it was always a good time and they genuinely loved spending every day all day together and then on February 9th of 2009 that is when Leslie's boss would call her sister Asha to tell her that Leslie did not come into work that day and that she has tried to call Leslie multiple times but cannot come in contact with her and so she decided to call Leslie's sister to just make sure that everything was okay. And to Leslie's boss as well as Asha, this was a very crazy occurrence because as I said, Leslie was a hard worker. She was dedicated. She was not the type of person to miss a day of work, let alone like a no-call no-show. This was very, very out of character for her, especially like when she would come in. She would either come into work early or on time. She did not slack and Asha and her boss 
Ross just had a very weird feeling about all of this. That is when Asha decided to call their brother, Lyndon. She was on the phone with Lyndon, just asking him a couple questions of like, oh, have you heard from Leslie? Have you like seen her recently? And that's when Lyndon realized that he hasn't talked to Leslie in a couple of days. And this realization made them both extremely worried. And so Asha and Lyndon knew that if there was one person that probably knew where Leslie was, it was definitely Lyle. And so they tried to call Lyle, but Lyle also wasn't picking up his phone. And so this was extremely concerning because Lyle was the same as Leslie. He was responsible. He responded. And so the fact that Lyle and Leslie weren't picking up the phone, people's minds start racing. You know, immediately when something like this happens, your mind just automatically goes to the worst. So they're thinking, you know, where are they? Did their boat crash and now they're in the ocean? Did they get into a car crash and now they're stranded? Did their phones break? Did something happen? Like, did they get mugged? Just all these different things are running through their head. And so that is when Ashen and Lyndon decide to go to the couple's condo. And when they got there, the front door was locked. And so they tried knocking, but there was no answer. They stood outside of the apartment knocking for hours until realizing that just nobody was coming out, nobody was home, and so that's when they called the police to do a welfare check. And so for those who don't know, typical protocol of a welfare check is that when you go to complete the check, the officer needs to physically see the person that they're doing a check on and make sure that they are physically and mentally well. And so in order for the police to see you know, Lyle and Leslie, they needed to get into the apartment. But since it was locked, they really had no choice but to break down the door. And they did. They took a little look around the apartment and found that no one was home. And so they started to do a little bit of like digging around the area, maybe finding some clues as to where they could have gone. But there really wasn't much that really stood out to them. For the most part, it looked like a typical clean, tight, house with personal touches, but there were a couple things off about the place. Like, for example, there was a candle lying on the counter and the candle was actually tipped over and there was wax spilled all over the counter, the side of the counter, the floor, and the wax was completely dried and it was not cleaned up. And so this was very odd because Leslie was very responsible. She always kept her apartment clean and tidy. And so something like this, especially a candle falling over, that's not just something you forget to clean up, especially since it has dried at this point. They walk into the bathroom and there was a bunch of towels in the bathroom that seemed to be scrunched up right next to the bathtub. And the bathroom was also in complete disarray. There was towels drying over the side of the shower. Same thing with the bath mats as if it had just been cleaned. There was this huge pile of towels laying right next to the bathtub and when the police were feeling around they noticed that the top towels were completely dry but the bottom ones were still extremely wet. It seems like maybe this person was trying to soak something up but this isn't a big sign of something happening. They could have just had a leak or something, maybe some plumbing issues. They looked around and they found no signs of a break-in. They also started to look around um, with 
Asha and Lyndon to see if anything had been stolen, but nothing was stolen at all. They had like a completely exposed electronics around the apartment. And so that is when the police just said the most they can do is just file a missing persons report. And so that's exactly what they did. They filed for a missing persons report. And as the police were doing a little bit more digging, they found that the last time Leslie was seen and heard was on the evening of February 6th, three days prior to her disappearance. Her co-workers were the last people to see her leave on Friday and then that weekend nobody had seen her and then she later never came into work on Monday. But although no one had seen her, she did have a phone conversation on Sunday morning which they later found out through phone records but nobody physically saw Leslie. It was simply just a phone call so they didn't know if she, you know, was okay, if she was physically fine. So now that Leslie was a missing person, now we start with the search for Leslie. The next day, Leslie's face was everywhere, on lamp posts, on TV. Asha was using her audience to spread the word, but days and days went by and nothing came from either of them, Lyle or Leslie. So police had put alerts on Leslie and Lyle's car in assumption that maybe they ran away together, but still they just wanted to make sure that they were okay and alive, making sure that nothing, you know, bad happened to them. And then two weeks went by and still nothing. And at this point, the police assumed that Leslie and Lyle were together because they both were not at the apartment. They both weren't answering their phones. And so they assume that whatever happened, they are most likely together. And the family said that at this time, they just had a deep feeling that something really bad had happened. They also just had that gut feeling that they probably weren't going to find Leslie alive. And also to the like running away theory, Leslie's family had said that there is no way that Leslie would just run away. That is impossible because she was very, very happy with her life. She had a great husband, a great job, a beautiful home, a thriving career. Um, Asha actually four weeks before had her first son and so Leslie was a new aunt and she absolutely loved her nephew and it just seemed like her life was doing so well and it was only getting better and so the fact that she would run away was just not even an option and Leslie again wasn't the type of person to just get walked over like if there was a problem she will let you know and so there would just be no reason for her to run away but it wasn't until two weeks after her disappearance that the police would get their first breakthrough. Lyle's car was found trying to cross over into the Mexican border with Lyle in the car, alive and well, but there was no Leslie. Immediately when he was found, he was brought into the station for questioning and where he has been for the last two weeks, as well as where is Leslie? Why aren't you picking up the phone? The family is extremely worried about you. And that is when Lyle starts, you know, answering questions from the police. And all he says is that the last time he had seen Leslie was February 7th on Saturday night. He said that the two of them had gotten into an argument that night. And when he woke up on Sunday morning, Leslie was gone. And there is some credibility to this because we do know that Leslie had a phone conversation with someone on 
on Sunday morning. So this is, you know, truthful to an extent. He said that that day on Sunday, he tried calling and texting her, but there was no reply. He said that, you know, she clearly didn't want to talk to him. She just needed her space. And so he decided to give her that instead of continuously trying to call her. He too just gave himself space as well and just began driving around. Over the next couple of days, he continued to call and text her, but there was no reply and he had no idea where she was. And he said that the only reason he was going to Mexico was to look for Leslie. They actually had this romantic like getaway trip in Mexico for Valentine's Day. And so he was thinking that maybe she might be there. And so after Lyle says this story, the police are still very confused because they're like, if you knew Leslie was gone wouldn't the first person you contact was her best friends like her mom and her sister wouldn't they you know have an idea of where she's at she could literally just be at one of their houses just kind of staying so it's like if you really were concerned about her why did you not only not contact the family but also ignore the family and so the police you know since they're not buying this story they begin pressing a little bit more and they start asking him okay well is it normal for her to just go days without replying is it normal for her to do this and shut everyone out and run away why didn't you just call the police and why did you take it upon yourself to go look for her like the police have so many more resources than you have so things just weren't adding up and so Lyle definitely felt the pressure and he buckled up and he just said no more questions I'm not not answering anything else like I'm not gonna put myself in a position where you guys are blaming me I'm done and so the interview ended but since the police didn't have enough evidence to keep him unfortunately they had to just let him go Hey guys, don't worry, it's still me, just in sponsorship mode, thanking the sponsor of today's episode, ZocDoc. Now, personally, I am afraid of doctors, not because of like the actual environment. I just feel like sometimes being at a doctor's office is so intimidating and also trying to find a doctor and not just find a doctor, but find a doctor that takes your health insurance is even more frustrating, where sometimes I just kind of feel like resorting to my group chats and just being like, hey, what does this mean? mean, but you don't really get much medical advice in your group chat. But thanks to ZocDoc, all those problems are gone. Thousands of medical professionals on ZocDoc are there to help you. They listen like a friend and give you the expert care you need. There are better ways to get the answers you want and the care that you deserve from trusted professionals and not just random people on the internet. ZocDoc helps you find expert doctors and medical professionals that specialize in the care you need and deliver the type of experience you want. When someone is extremely good at what they do, it could be a waiter, a chef, or a doctor, you know you're in good hands. On ZocDoc, finding the doctor that is right for you is seamless, and the quality care you need is just a few taps away in the ZocDoc app. There's nothing worse than getting to a doctor's appointment expecting to be the center of attention, and then your doctor seems like they are having other things to do and better places to be, but instead of listening to you and asking you how you feel and helping you along, the doctor is just checking the clock. But on 
ZocDoc, you'll find quality doctors who focus on you, listen to you, and prioritize your care. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors with patient-reviewed and take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. When you are not feeling your best and just trying to hold it together, finding great care shouldn't take up all your energy. That's where ZocDoc comes in. Using the free app that millions of users rely on, you can find the right doctor that meets your needs and fits your schedule. Book an appointment with just a few taps on their app and start feeling better with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com behind and download the ZocDoc app for free, then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That is ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash behind, ZocDoc.com slash behind. And thank you to ZocDoc for sponsoring today's episode. Now back to your episode. But the police were still left with so many questions as to why the love of Leslie's life wasn't the first person to call the police or contact Leslie's family if he felt that Leslie was in danger. And even Asha in an interview said that it was really, really weird for Lyle not to call the police or contact the family. His lack of care for Leslie's well-being and not going to the police and shutting out the family who was trying to contact him. It was just everything was so bizarre. And so everyone was really having their eyes on to Lyle, but a couple days go by and the police are able to get Lyle in for a second interview. The detectives actually bring up a point that they were meaning to bring up last time but never did, but they took note of Lyle's appearance. Lyle before had these like really long dreadlocks. He had a full beard and if you guys don't know like dreadlocks take a long time to make it's a definitely a process and usually people who have dreadlocks are proud of their dreadlocks because they're so hard to create and maintain but when Lyle came into the station his dreadlocks were just gone and same thing with his beard he no longer had a beard anymore and this was very very odd because if he was stressed in trying to find Leslie why did he care about his appearance or why did he change his appearance in order to try to find Leslie? And so when the police ask him why he decided to take off his dreadlocks and change his appearance, he said that he didn't take them off and it was actually done involuntarily. He said that whilst he was walking one night, he was attacked pinned down by a gang of men who then shaved his head and his beard as punishment because apparently he had owed this group of people like a lot of money and he couldn't pay it back which he also goes into no further detail into of like why he owes these people money and so I guess to teach Lyle a lesson they just like lined him up real quick I don't really know where he was going with that and so police obviously 
really didn't buy this because they said, why would they give you, you know, a whole number two on top or number one on the side sort of like fade for just uh, as punishment? Like it just, it made no sense. But unfortunately, same as last time, this was not enough evidence to arrest Lyle. Like, yes, he cut his hair and shaved his beard, but that's not evidence that he murdered someone. And so unfortunately, once again, they had to let him go. So once they let him go, they were now back at the drawing board of what they were going to do. And so the police got a search warrant for Leslie's condo to try to search the place extensively for clues. And so through this search, the police noticed that all of Leslie's jewelry was still on her nightstand. And now the reason why this is very odd is because Leslie was a very classy lady and even her family and friends said that Leslie never walked out of the house without some sort of jewelry on, whether it be earrings or rings or a necklace. Like, she always, always had jewelry on. She just didn't feel like herself without it on. And so, the fact that it was just lying on her nightstand was very odd because it kind of told police that maybe she didn't get up that morning. They also found Leslie's purse and inside of her purse was everything. Her ID, her driver's license, her bank cards, her money. And so when the police found this, this was a huge piece of evidence because without her driver's license, without her cards, without everything, she couldn't go very far. And so where exactly did she go? So the police start doing a little bit more digging around and shoved inside of Leslie's nightstand, they found a handwritten letter by Leslie to Lyle. And in this letter, Leslie, it seems like she was angry with Lyle, specifically his spending habits. He was let go from his past job and for this transitional period of him going from an old job to a new job, they were using their savings to kind of keep them afloat for the time being. But Lyle got a little bit too comfortable with this unemployed lifestyle. And so he started to stay at home without a job and stopped looking for a job and essentially just spent all of their savings while Leslie went out every day and worked. Leslie wrote that she shouldn't have to live this way and live in fear every day of not knowing if she'll have a roof over her head or not. And at this time, Lyle had just bought a vacation for the couple for $1,200 when they didn't have the money for it. And she also mentions in that note, she says that she works hard for the both of them, which is extremely unfair because they are supposed to be a couple and helping each other out. They were starting to go into debt because of all of his spending habits. There's also a part in the note where she puts the word husband in quotations as if to say that he's a bad husband or he's not a real husband. And she ends off the note by saying, quote, I don't think I can recover from this experience. I can't take any more. I am broken. And so this was huge evidence for the police because it showed a clear financial motive as to why Lyle would want Leslie gone. And so the police started to search more around the apartment and they would later find a bigger piece of evidence and it was a Starbucks receipt four days after her disappearance and the Starbucks receipt was found in Leslie's purse. So the police went to the Starbucks address on the 
receipt, looked at the footage, and when they looked at the security footage, they found Lyle on the camera buying a Starbucks drink at the same time of the receipt, meaning that Lyle definitely bought Starbucks, then planted the receipt inside of Leslie's purse to make it look like she was alive as a cover-up. Because why else would this receipt that Lyle definitely bought end up in Leslie's purse even though Lyle didn't know where Leslie was and why would he even put it in her purse in the first place? Usually when you get a receipt from like Starbucks you just throw it away right afterwards and so I guess from this since Lyle knew that all eyes were on him he attempted at gaining sympathy from the public and began going on the news on interviews. He was crying for witnesses to come forward anybody with any sort of information and this was very odd behavior from Lyle considering that he was the one who shut down police interviews, completely shut out and ignored Leslie's family as they were going through probably one of the most traumatic things that they ever have went through, as well as going completely missing and mute for an entire two weeks while quote-unquote searching for Leslie. And I completely understand why Lyle wouldn't want to go to the police because especially with missing persons cases when it comes to women of color. They are not taken care of. They tend to just be dismissed. So I completely understand why Lyle may not have wanted to go to the police, but ignoring Leslie's family is just so bizarre and the suspicion was definitely rising on Lyle. The police were later able to gather enough reason to seize all of Lyle's electronics like his phone, computer, laptop, etc. And so when they were looking at Lyle's phone records, they found that on the day Leslie went missing, he had called her multiple times throughout the day, but weirdly enough, she had picked up the phone every single time. And so they decided to track the phone's location, so the location of Leslie's phone and the location of Lyle's phone at the time of those phone calls. And what they found was that both phones were at the same location in the couple's condo, meaning that either, again, Lyle was trying to cover up what he had done or try to cover up his tracks to make it look like he was trying to call Leslie all day. But why would Lyle call Leslie if Leslie was in the same house as him? So again, this just seems like Lyle was trying to cover up his tracks. And so since all of this suspicion is rising onto Lyle, they need more evidence against Lyle. They need a little bit more to arrest him. So that is when they call in all of Lyle's close family and friends to just get more info. And when speaking with them, police were surprised to find that there was a different side of Lyle that no one knew about. As I said, Lyle was a guy that everyone loved. He was outgoing, he was focused, he was loyal, charismatic, but only to women. As far as his male family and friends, his male family and friends said that they just had a weird feeling about Lyle, that the women couldn't see it, but men always had this very just off-putting vibe coming from Lyle, that he was just a little too nice to women. Whenever the men would bring this up to the women, the women would just kind of, you know, shove it off like, oh, he's just charming, that's just how he is, 
and the men started to think maybe Lyle was just better at manipulating women than he was men. By using his charm, his flirtiness, his charisma, his charm, a lot of the time when you hear like psychopaths or sociopaths, a very big word that you hear is charming. And this was a word that a lot of the women used to describe Lyle. Now, the police started speaking with Lyle's cousin, Malcolm, and Malcolm actually said that he had seen Lyle days after Leslie's disappearance. But at this point, no one knew that Leslie was gone yet. She actually hadn't like gone into work that Monday. It was over the weekend and Malcolm said that when he met up with Lyle, Lyle was acting very weird. And at the time, he didn't really think much of it. But now knowing that Leslie is missing, he notices that there are some really concerning things that happened. The first weird thing was that him and Malcolm met outside of Lyle's apartment. Lyle wouldn't let Malcolm up to his apartment. So the two of them just kind of met in the parking garage and were just kind of out there like chilling and talking just, you know, hanging out. And Malcolm said that the entire time Lyle seemed like he was on edge. He was just really weird. And he also said some out of context things that at the time seemed out of context. But now knowing that Leslie is missing, it makes just 10 times more sense, such as one comment that Lyle had made where he said, quote, man, I'm gonna go to hell for the things that I have done. And when he said that, you know, Malcolm just kind of laughed it off because that is kind of like a funny thing that people say sometimes, you know, like when your friends make a dark joke and they're like, oh, we're going to hell for this or we're all going to hell for this. That's kind of what he thought. So he just sort of laughed it off. But now knowing the things that he knows, he's starting to see that comment in a different light. Another really weird thing was that Malcolm Malcolm said that when he asked Lyle, like, hey, do you mind if I go upstairs and use your bathroom real quick? Lyle just said no. He said, no, you cannot go upstairs. You cannot go to my bathroom, which is very odd to police because remember when they were looking through the apartment, they found in the bathroom all of the bath mats and the towels just drying. Also a big pile of like drenched towels next to the bathtub. And so the fact that Lyle's said that Malcolm could not use the bathroom and then gave no further explanation as to why he couldn't use the bathroom, everything was just slowly clicking. So after this, the public became really suspicious of Lyle and started to accuse Lyle publicly. And even Leslie's sister, Asha, now started to beg Lyle publicly to just talk to the police, to give them info and to just talk to them because Lyle was refusing to do any police interviews. And one, of Lyle's neighbors actually saw Asha on TV and how she was begging for Lyle to just talk to the police and this kind of inspired the neighbor to call the police and tell them that they saw the night that Leslie went missing on Saturday at around midnight when they were coming home they saw Lyle walking out of his apartment they said that they saw Lyle carrying a dolly now if you guys don't know what a dolly is it's kind of like a four-wheeler 
but it's two. <laughs> like, it's kind of the thing that people use to carry heavy items. And he was carrying around this dolly. And on top of the dolly was a roll of carpet. And he was rolling this dolly onto the elevator before going to the bottom. And at the time, the neighbor didn't really think much of it. He was like, maybe he's just, you know, throwing away an old carpet. But now that Leslie is missing, the neighbor started to think about it more. And he started thinking that roll of carpet seemed a little bit too wide to just be a regular carpet. And also, why was he cleaning out his apartment at midnight on a Saturday and then taking that carpet downstairs? Like, isn't that the type of task that you would just wait for in the morning? That's not something you do in the middle of the night. So all of those things started to click and the police were now convinced that this isn't the first person that blames Lyle and has evidence to blame Lyle. So that's when the police decided to bring in cadaver dogs to sniff out Lyle's two cars because they're thinking, okay, if he brought the carpet downstairs, most likely he brought it down to his cars. Now, Lyle actually had two cars. He had a big SUV that he used every single day and it was at the apartment, but he also had an old Cadillac that wasn't at the apartment. It was actually like in another garage somewhere else. And so they brought the dogs to both cars and the dogs ended up finding scents of a dead body in both cars. When they found this out, the police kept real quiet because Lyle has run away before and they do not want Lyle running away again and so they kept it really quiet and they attached trackers to both of his cars hoping that maybe Lyle would return to the spot of Leslie's body and for the first 48 hours as the police watched both of the cars nothing was off nothing was suspicious Lyle went to work he hung out with friends it was just normal behavior until the third day where Lyle woke up at 6 a.m got in his SUV, drove three miles to a very like tucked away local park. And this was very odd because Lyle was not the type of person to wake up early or even go on walks to parks. So when they saw Lyle starting to head to the park, the police also headed to the park just to see what he was going to do there. They watched Lyle get out of his car, walk over to a huge like dumpster that was lying next to the park and he just kind of stood around that area. He was like kicking the dirt, kicking the dumpster, just walking around it doing circles before just turning around and going right back in his car and driving home. Now this is very suspicious because why are you waking up at 6 a.m. just to kick a dumpster and then go home? And so they go straight to this dumpster with their cadaver dogs and the dogs ended up finding sense of a decomposition posing body three feet away from the dumpsters on this mound of dirt. The dirt looked disturbed. It looked ruffled as if it was freshly laid. So the police are thinking the worst of the worst. They're assuming, oh my god, we just found the body. So they don't touch anything. They bring in diggers and the diggers ended up finding nothing. There was nothing underneath the dirt. There was nothing concerning. But the dogs don't lie, obviously. If they send something, 
they tell you that they sense something. And so they're thinking, what if Lyle had had Leslie in like the trunk of his car, but before lifting Leslie into the dumpster, he laid her down on the ground before opening up the dumpster and then picking up Leslie and putting her body in there. Now, if this was the case that Leslie's body was dumped in the dumpster, that unfortunately means that most likely her body will never be found because she would probably be in a landfill somewhere. And unfortunately, it's common for dead bodies to end up in landfills, but you can never find them because you can't just really walk into a landfill and look around. You need a permit, and in order to get a permit, the whole place needs to be shut down. And with the amount of trash that is put into landfills every single day, you would probably need to shut down the landfill for a couple of days in order to search it and for those couple of days the trash that usually comes in there on a daily basis would just be piling piling up everywhere and it's just a mess and that's why landfills like are just kind of a lost cause even if they were to hypothetically get that permit at this point it had been around two months since Leslie had gone missing and so two months worth of trash on top of her body it was just there was no way that they were going to find her. And this was really tough for the police because that means they would have to tell Leslie's family that unfortunately Leslie's body is probably just sitting decomposing under a bunch of trash and they would be unable to give her a proper burial. But because of this, the police were able to gather enough evidence to arrest Lyle. So they went to Lyle's work and for some reason they didn't want to arrest him in front of like all of his colleagues so they basically just went to Lyle's work he made up some excuse about like oh your car is getting towed or something like that and so they brought him downstairs and that's when they were able to arrest him whilst Lyle is awaiting trial this was going to be a little bit difficult to try to pin this on Lyle because unlike you know typical murder cases where you have a body an autopsy all these things in this case they had none of that they didn't have a body they didn't have an autopsy they didn't have any evidence no DNA matches it was basically just all witness statements and cadaver dogs along with like his weird behavior. Lyle was indeed pleading not guilty to the very end, so even to this day, we don't really know what happened, but from the crime scene evidence as well as like other factors that played into this, phone records, etc., this is what the police believed happened. The police believe that her cause of death was drowning and that he had actually drowned her in the bathtub after an argument the couple had had on Saturday night. And so that would explain why there was that huge pile of towels, why everything was open and drying. It is believed that on Saturday night, the couple had gotten into an argument. Now, we don't know what the argument was about, but it is assumed from that letter that Leslie had written Lyle that it did have to do with their financial issues and Lyle's extensive spending and so this later led to a verbal argument and this verbal argument then went violent 
which would explain the spilled candle on the counter. They believed that at some point, Lyle had knocked Leslie out, and as she was knocked out, that's when he placed her in the bathtub and drowned her to death before wrapping her body up in a carpet and putting her on a dolly and taking her out to his SUV. It's believed that he put Leslie in the back of his SUV and drove to where his Cadillac was and put the body in the trunk of his Cadillac. He drove back to the apartment and he stayed up all night trying to figure out what to do with Leslie's body as well as getting his story straight. He went back to his Cadillac in the morning, then dumped Leslie's body in the park dumpster. Prosecutors had a pretty good case, actually, for not having a body. They had a bunch of evidence to accuse Lyle, such as the fake phone calls. Remember when, like, they were looking at the locations of both phones and it was in the same location? They had the planted receipt of Lyle's Starbucks order ending up in Leslie's purse. They also have the witness statements from Malcolm, the weird behavior, his changed appearance, him going MIA for a whole two weeks, as well as the neighbor's witness statement of the carpet on the dolly, as well as his very abrupt behavior to the whole situation, how he wanted nothing to do with the family, he was ignoring everyone, and then, you know, the day after he was found, he was now crying on TV, hoping that anybody had any information. So after a lot of back and forth, that is when the jury had found Lyle guilty for the second degree murder of Leslie Herring and was sentenced to life with a minimum of 15 years. So this is usually the part where I will mention the aftermath of everything, how, you know, Lyle is today, how the family is today. But after this happened, it kind of just went quiet. Even to this day, I haven't seen any statements of like people who are in jail with Lyle and what Lyle's in-jail behavior is. And same thing with Leslie's family. They remain very private about the situation. They haven't spoke up about it really. But as for Lyle Herring today, he is still in jail serving out his life sentence. But as I said, not only was he sentenced to life, he was also sentenced to life with a minimum of 15 years. And so in the year 2024, next year, Lyle is actually eligible for a retrial where he may or may not be released. And yeah, that is basically the end of today's case. If you guys found this case interesting, make sure to give it a thumbs up and subscribe. If you're on YouTube or if you're on Apple or Spotify, wherever you can find podcasts, make sure to give it a five star because that really helps me out a lot. As always, be safe out there. Make sure to get outside today, do some self-care, and I love you, I love you, I love you, and I will see you guys next week. Bye.